Well, good morning. Um, glad to be able to speak to everybody this morning. Hope you're doing well. I know this feels a little strange not being able to get together physically, but thankfully we can get together in spirit and in mind. Um, that's the wonderful thing about having the Holy Spirit is no matter where we are, we can all connect with each other and commune with our Lord and Savior together. So the first song I'm going to share this morning is one we've never done at the church before, but I think it suits us very well for where we are today. Let's be the tie. Um, if you happen to have a Baptist hymnal laying around the house, it's page 256, or if you'd like to look up the words on the computer, um, we're going to be singing the first, second, and fourth verses. But this song just talks about how, although it's hard to be apart physically, we're grateful for the Spirit that keeps us connected no matter what. So, Blessed Be the Tie, page 256, in the Red Baptist Hymnal, first, second, and fourth verses. words up on the internet or if you have your red baptist hymnal page 35 how great thou art that's something that never changes how great god is he loves us and he's looking out for us page 35 in your red baptist hymnal first third and fourth verses
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that we can still gather together to praise your name, no matter that how far apart we may be. We're still connected by you and with you. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for the protection that you put on all of us this week. And God, continue to keep us safe. And God, right now, for any prayer requests that we may have on our hearts, God, we just all ask you together, Lord, to meet these needs and to um, answer them in accordance with your will, God. Help us remember that you're good and that you're sovereign and that you love us no matter what. Um, and that we can rely on you and that you, you are good. And we love you, Heavenly Father, and ask you to be with us as we hear the preaching. Open our minds and our hearts. Help us to take this into our week and share it with others. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Like Jessica said, this is a little bit strange, trying to have church this way. But we know that the Lord's with us, no matter whether we are together physically or not, because His Spirit is everywhere. And we're coming to the end of our study in the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians. And as we get here to the end, we see that Paul ends this letter by just giving a list of admonishments to the church, things that we should do and should be about. You know, when I was younger as a Christian, I would read the end of these books and say, well, that's what I need to do, so I'm going to work hard at doing it. But I found out I couldn't. Well, you got to read the first part of the book, too, because the first part of these books usually tell us why we can do it. It's because of who we are in Christ and because His Holy Spirit lives in us and dwells in us, and He gives us the power to do it. When we get out of the way, somehow... The Spirit of God just does it through us. If you remember in chapter 4, we started with Paul telling them that they knew how they ought to walk and that he was praying that they would abound in that and would learn how to walk in a way that would please God. And that in verse 3 of chapter 4, he said, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Now remember, sanctification means purity. The Lord wants us to be pure. It also means set apart. When we're saved, the Spirit comes into us and sets us apart for the service of God. And he mentioned one particular thing there that, that got us started into this idea of walking in the Spirit. And he said, This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. And remember, fornication is any kind of sexual impurity. And we see that in the world today. Uh, we see it in our country today. We see it uh, probably worse now than, than ever in, in our lifetimes that people just seem to just flaunt that in the face of God and say, well, I'm going to live however I want to live. And I'm going to have all kind of pleasure sexually and things like that just disregarding what God has to say. And God's not trying to spoil people's fun. He's trying to make them have an opportunity to have a good life and, and to enjoy life in a way that is safe and good for them. But at any rate, he says, 
you should abstain. That means to hold, hold yourself back from any kind of sexual impurity. And as we read on through chapter 4, we realized that the, the Lord was showing these people and showing you and me today that there's three characteristics that ought to mark the church. Uh, work of faith, patience and hope, and a labor of love. And we saw these things worked out through chapter 4 and into chapter 5 in the way that we live our life in the Spirit. And remember we said that walking in the Spirit, the, the, the Scriptures tell us in Galatians chapter 5 that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians that we ought to be always being filled with the Spirit. In the book of Colossians, it tells us to let the Word of God dwell in us richly. And so, if we let the Word of God dwell in us richly, the book of Colossians tells us that we'll see the fruit of the Spirit worked out in our life. If we're being filled with the Spirit, the book of Ephesians tells us that we see those same characteristics being worked out in our life. And so, by walking in the Spirit, just yielding to the Spirit of God and letting Him have His way in our life, we also see the fruit of the Spirit being lived out in our life. So these things that we're about to look at, if we are walking in the Spirit, if we're living in the Spirit, we'll see these things being lived out in our lives. And so it's probably more of a list for us to have for guidelines to look at our life rather than to try to achieve just something that we can know that if we're seeing these things in our lives, we're walking in the Spirit. But anyway, as we get here to verse number 12 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, first we see here in, in 12 and 13 that he tells us that we ought to esteem the elders. And, you know, the word elders can mean an older person, someone that's, that's physically older than we are. But it, it usually means someone that is spiritually mature, uh, more spiritually mature than we are. And it is used in the New Testament to designate the leaders of the church. Uh, the pastor is an elder. The Bible talks about two groups of elders. talks about elders that teach and then elders that do not teach but yet are leaders in the church. And if you look at the New Testament way of the way a church should operate, that's what you see. You see that the church is operated by a group of elders. It's a group of men, and it could be, it's usually more than one. Um, as far as I know, I don't know of an incident where really you don't read about elders in the, in the plural in the church, but they're a group of men that uh, the Lord uses to lead and guide the church. And some of those elders will be teachers, will be pastors. And and it says here we ought to esteem those folks. You know, uh, the Bible says in, in Ephesians that pastors are one of the gifts listed. Pastor, teacher is one of the gifts of God that he lists that is given to the church. So uh, an elder that can teach is something that God has put into the church to be a blessing to the body. And and we should esteem those folks. Anybody that can 
teach the word of God to us. And when I say that word, the Bible tells us that we have only one teacher, and that's the Holy Spirit. A man does not teach us. But God can use men to let the Holy Spirit fill them and be a mouthpiece to expound the word of God. And here again, a man doesn't go about telling you, well, God told me this and God told me that. The, the, a true teaching elder will take the word of God and, and will show it to you black ink on white paper. And, and be able to break it down and say, this is what God is saying to us here. This is what this means. And you can look at it and you can verify that what he's telling you is true. But if you have someone like that in your life, the Bible says, if you have someone like that in your church, that we ought to esteem them. In verse number 12, he says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, be and be at peace among yourselves. So he tells us here, uh, he says, I beg you, brethren, that you know them which labor among you. And the word know here doesn't mean that you just know who they are, but you know them personally. Uh, you, you've known them and learned to love them and that you have a relationship with them. That's the kind of knowing that he means here and he says you should know these people and he says they labor among you the word labor there means to feel fatigue and if a pastor really has a heart for the flock he'll work and he'll work to the point sometimes of feeling fatigue you'd be surprised how much fatigue you can feel after you preach God's word uh, you'd be surprised how much effort goes into preparing to preach. Uh, I shouldn't say a 30-minute message because mine are usually longer than that. But just a, a few minutes, you'd be surprised how much effort goes into that. But it is a labor of love. You love what you do and you love who you're doing it for. You love the Lord. You love God's people. And he says, they, they, they labor among you. He says, so you should get to know them. And it says, they're over you uh, in the Lord. Notice that's important. The men of, of God don't rule over you for their own sake. They rule over the church in the Lord as a representative of the Lord. And they admonish you. They're the ones that says this is what the Lord says we should do and we should be about. So he tells us that we ought to esteem these people. Uh, God uses elders to rule the flock. In First Timothy Chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. See if I can find it here. It says, One that ruleth well. His, now this is, a, this is a description of uh, what an elder should be. When, when he's talking here in chapter 3, he's saying if, if someone desires the office of bishop, that's the same thing, the elder. He said he desires a good work. And then he describes his qualifications, how he should be. And he says he should be one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man knoweth know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So God sets men in place to, to rule over the flock, 
to guide the flock, to lead the flock, but it's just like a loving father uh, leading his children. Uh, and and he says, if if a man can't lead his own children, he won't be able to lead the church of God either. And he also tells us in First Peter five verses one through four that the rulership of an elder is not to lord over the people. It's not to come in and say, well, I'm boss and it's going to be my way and, and that's it. Because that's not the way the Lord wants an elder to rule. It says in chapter 5 of First Peter, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Notice that's the first thing he tells an elder to do is feed the flock. A shepherd, he wants to care for his flock. He wants to help his flock. And and he, he needs to feed them. If he doesn't feed them, they, they won't grow. They won't live. That's basic husbandry there. So what does an elder feed the flock? The Word of God. That's what you need to grow. That's what you need to live. That's what I need to live. Feed the flock of God which is among you taking the oversight thereof. So he says here, you're to take the oversight. You're to be the supervisor. You're to, to watch over them. Just like a, the shepherd watches over his sheep and looks for the wolves and looks for the danger and tries to guard them from that danger. Well, God uses elders to do the same thing. But he says that you're to do this not by constraint. In other words, not because you feel like you have to, you know, a lot of us at times have been talked into doing things in the church that we didn't really feel led of the Lord to do. We just felt like we had an obligation to do it. And that, well, nobody else will do it, I will. He says, don't become an elder like that because you think nobody else will do it. You don't do it because you have to. He says, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre. That means for money. Uh, it's sad to say, but there are some lucrative positions in in some churches for pastors and and some uh make a career of it and 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 some are nothing more than just just hirelings uh like the the lord talked about but he says don't do it for money you do it because the lord has called you and you have a a, a love for the lord and a love for his people he says but of a ready mind Neither being, neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples, that means examples, to the flock. We as elders should live in a way that sets an example to the rest of the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now notice he says that uh, we're the under-shepherds. Pastors of a church are the under-shepherds. God is the shepherd. He's the one that we really look to to lead and guide us all. And then, uh, so you see there that, that he tells us in these four verses here in First Peter how an elder ought to rule over the church. So uh, Paul's just reminding the, the Thessalonians here, you know, there are those that, that we've put in place to be your supervisors, to be your pastors, your elders, to rule over you. You get you get to know them in love, and you you admire you know you uh you show honor and respect and love for them. All right, now 
we see the next thing he tells us to do is to edify the body. That just simply means to build up the body. We shouldn't be tearing each other down. We ought to be building each other up. He says in verse 14 that we ought to warn them that are unruly. There are times when there will be people in the church body that will be misbehaving. We need to deal with that. But he also says to comfort the feeble-minded. In the Greek, that word means little-spirited. There are always those in the church that's maybe not far along in their faith with the Lord as others are. And maybe there's things that come along that test our faith, just like what's going on with us even here today, having to uh, do our worship service in a different way than what we are accustomed to. Uh, some will have a harder time with this than others, but we have to comfort one another um, and, and keep encouraging one another. Those that have uh, enough faith to, to get through something, maybe you got enough to share with your neighbor too and help them get through it as well. And he says, support the weak. And there again, there will always be those in the body that are stronger than others spiritually. Those that are strong need to come alongside and support those that are weak. He sums it up really when he says, be patient toward all. We are to be patient toward everyone in the church, no matter what their situation. And there again, that's one of the characteristics that we've seen throughout this entire book is that we are to be patient Verse 15, it says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man. You know, that's the way of the world. You know, you get me, I'll get you. Uh, you do something bad to me, I'm going to do something worse to you. And, and our flesh wants to respond that way. But we have to be reminded that we are to walk in the Spirit. And the Spirit of God says, Do not render evil for evil. Jesus set the greatest example of anybody because he was mistreated and had no reason to be mistreated other than the fact that he loved us. And he come along and he could have said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you all. But he didn't. He didn't render evil for evil. He rendered good for evil. He rendered good for evil when he died on the cross for our sins. So we should follow that example. Verse 15 also says, But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Now this is something that we not only do in the church, but we do outside the church. We should always follow what is good and do what is good, do what is right toward all men, inside the church, outside the church. Then he goes into uh, some verses here, 16 through 22, where he tells us to enjoy God. So we esteem the elders, we edify the body, and we enjoy God. We have a relationship with one another, but it's only because of God. And first and foremost, we have a relationship with God. And we're to enjoy that relationship. First, he says, rejoice evermore. Now, that's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Um, we just don't practice it. Rejoice evermore. All the time, we ought to be rejoicing. I need to hear that this morning. 
because I don't do that like I should. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Rejoice. Why shouldn't we rejoice? Do you know that the, the worst thing that could happen to an individual is to die and go to hell? The Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Do you know that means that, that one soul is worth the entire wealth of this world? Whatever that is, one soul is worth more than that. And there's going to be people one day that will have almost literally gained this whole world and they're going to lose their soul. Now, if you've been saved, then your sins have been forgiven and your soul has been bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's redeemed. You're going to heaven when you die. Why shouldn't you be rejoicing? We got our eyes on the wrong thing when we're grumbling and complaining. If we have our eyes on eternity, we can't help but rejoice. Then he says, verse 17, pray without ceasing. That literally means just what it says, pray without ceasing. And I know you can't go around, you, you can't stay in your prayer closet all day on your knees. That's not what that means. Uh, it means to stay in an attitude of prayer to keep your mind and heart focused on God and His Word. The Bible tells us to meditate on the Word of God. The Bible tells us that, that those that, that their mind is fixed on the Word of God will be kept in perfect peace. Uh, we're to be thinking about God, thinking about the Word of God, talking to God all day long. And, and you can talk to God while you're washing the dishes or cutting the grass or at work or at school, whatever. You stay in an attitude of prayer. Pray without ceasing. We need to realize that we can do nothing without God. We can do nothing apart from God. So we ought to constantly be talking to Him throughout the day, asking for His guidance and asking for His help. It says in verse 18, In everything give thanks. Now notice it doesn't say for everything, but in everything. And no matter how bad our situation is, there's always something we can be thankful for. Uh, times right now in this country are different than we've ever seen in our lifetime. But there's still something that we can be thankful for. And we need to look for that. And we need to be giving thanks to God. He says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, notice in chapter 4, he said the will of God was our sanctification. Again, he tells us this is also the will of God for our lives that we give thanks. I've learned in my own life that if I go around giving thanks in everything, then I can rejoice evermore. And I am praying without ceasing. And, and, and I have the right attitude. But if I start to grumble and complain, then those other things just fall apart. Quench not the Spirit, verse 19. You, the Spirit of God is the one that leads and guides us to walk with God and to be able to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. And so we don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. And I think he's saying here that if we don't rejoice and we don't pray and we don't give thanks, we're quenching the Spirit. The only way to keep the Spirit of God alive and active in our lives moment by moment is to be constantly rejoicing and praying and giving thanks to God in everything because I know that like I said if you start 
down a path of oh poor pitiful me and you just want to start feeling down and out and getting all upset about things then that's the way you start to head and you're getting further and further away from the will of God and further and further away from the control of the Holy Spirit in your life you're giving in to the flesh so if you want to walk in the spirit you have to do this you have to rejoice you have to pray you have to give thanks in everything um and there again i've seen it in my own life i know it to be true i don't always practice it like i should but i've seen it to be true that if i just make a point not to go down the path of looking at myself and looking at others and being condemning and criticizing if i look to god and rejoice and pray and give thanks then my attitude is different my whole day goes different i, I enjoy the presence of God in my life. Despise not prophesying, verse 20 says. And verse 21 says, prove all things. Now, in this day and time, you know, they didn't have the, the Bible like we do, completed, written down for us to read. Uh, there were still prophets. And God was using prophets to speak to his people. Uh, the apostles uh, were the 12 people that God chose to be his instruments to speak to the church and to write down the words of God for us to, to be able to have today to follow. Now, I don't believe there's any modern prophets. I believe that, that, that those kind of gifts died out as when the apostles died out. Uh, of someone getting direct revelation from God apart from the Word of God and, and just saying, well, this is God's Word. We've got people today in the church that claim to be modern-day prophets. And the book of Deuteronomy says that the way you test them is if what they say comes true, then they're a prophet. Well, nobody's been able to do that yet. There's always some mistakes and some problems in their prophesying. So when he says despise not prophesying, He's talking about true prophecy that comes from God and not some of this man-made stuff that comes out of people's mouths or that comes from maybe the enemy working in their hearts. He's talking about the Word of God. Now today, I think that the only real prophecy we have is written down in this Holy Bible. And apart from that, there is none. I think that this is the prophecy. This is the Word of God. This is the complete uh, and perfect Word of God to His people and to the world. And uh, if, there, if there's any gift of prophecy today, it would not be foretelling, but just forth-telling, having the ability to preach and teach the Word of God. But he says, don't despise those things. In other words, he's, in this day and time, he's saying, you know, be open to prophecy. Be open to the Word of God. But then he said, prove all things in verse 21. You want to test it. Just like the Scripture tells us in uh, Romans chapter 12. And verse number 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's an ongoing process. Be being transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You read the Word of God. 
that ye may prove, and there's that same word, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That means to test or discern as you spend time in the Word of God and your thinking changes to go along with God's will, God's Word, then you're able to know the will of God and to prove it and to test it and to say, yes, this is God's will because it's in the Word or this is not God's will because it's not in the Word or because He speaks of it in His Word and He's against it. And, and that's how you know. So He's saying here, as you hear what is said to be the Word of God, prove it, test it. Uh, when a when somebody that claims to be a pastor stands up and speaks out and says, I've got a prophecy from God. Well, check it out. If it ain't in Scripture, he didn't get it from God. Prove it. Prove that it's really from him. Or if you got people standing up and, and claim to be preaching the Word of God and they're telling you, that just like I'm doing, that this is what God's Word is saying, don't take my word for it. Prove it. Test it. You read it. You look at it. You see if I'm telling you the truth or not. I'm not infallible, but God's word is. So he says, don't despise hearing people uh, expound on the word of God. It's the way it would be today. But prove it. Be sure that, that, that it really is the word of God. And he says, hold fast to that which is good. Stick like glue to what is good and what is from God and what is right. But he says, then abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, I've heard people say that this means to stay away from anything that looks like evil. And I've heard people say that this means you should stay away from anything that would look like you're doing something that's evil. I'm sure both are true. If, it, if, if you test it and it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then it's evil. Stay away from it. If you're questioning whether you ought to do something, if, if somebody could look at it and view it as something evil, then don't do it. The scripture teaches us that, that the main thing that we ought to be concerned about is our brothers and sisters, not ourselves. That if, if we could cause our brother or sister to stumble, then we don't need to be fooling with it. Look, I personally believe that the scriptures teach that we should stay away from alcohol. And I know many people want to say, oh, well, the Bible makes an allowance for people being able to drink alcohol. If you look at the whole Bible, it gives us wisdom to know that it's dangerous and that it's best to stay away from it. But if you do feel like that it's okay for you to drink alcohol, then you certainly don't need to be letting anyone else get the wrong impression and, and, and stumble. So that's why there again, it's even best to stay away from it. What if uh, a weaker person in, in, in the Lord sees you drink a beer? And I say, well, look, they're so-and-so, they're a good Christian, they're drinking a beer, that's okay for me. What if they start trying to drink beer and they become an alcoholic? you have caused them a problem. So there again, think about others instead of ourselves and stay away from anything that appears to be evil. Verse 23, he says, uh, and as we get here to verse 23, these are just some ending words that he gives us. 
uh, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Now, now remember, he told us over here that the will of God for us was our sanctification to be set apart. Uh, so God does that. As we walk in the Spirit, we are set apart wholly for God's work. And he said, I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it good to know that in Christ we will one day be presented to God blameless? Uh, when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, your sins are completely and totally washed away forever. You're forgiven. God sees his son in us when he looks at us. Isn't that neat? God sees Jesus in us. So he sees us as perfect right now before him. Even though our flesh continues to get us into sin from time to time, uh, he, he still he sees us as perfect. Because the scriptures tell us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Paul says, I'm praying that you be preserved and be presented blameless. Uh, verse 24, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Now, folks, that right there is, is if we heard nothing else today, this right here is the thing we need to hear. We're saved by grace through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Now, think about that. If you're saved today, it's not because of you, it's because of God. God saw your need. He made the way when he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. He was buried in the grave, and three days later he was raised to eternal life. If we put our faith and trust in him as our Savior and Lord, we too have our sins forgiven, and we are resurrected into new life. The moment you put your faith in Christ, your spirit is resurrected right away. Your dead spirit comes to life. Eventually, one day, we will have a resurrected body and our salvation will be totally complete. And the reason that will happen is because God's faithful, not because I'm faithful. I didn't save myself and I can't keep myself saved. Think about that. You're, you're continued to be uh, saved because he's faithful. Once he saves you, he saves you forever. He saves you for good. And it's because he's faithful. Uh, we're fickle, but God is faithful. So think about that this morning. He He's faithful. He's called you, and he will do it. Isn't that good news today? No matter what goes on in our life, he's faithful, and he will do it. Then he says, brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. Now, I don't know exactly what that is, <laughs> And I don't think we'll go around kissing one another, but that was a that was a common greeting in that day and time. And he's just saying, I, I wish I could be there. That's like us saying, you know, give so and so a hug for me, or tell so and so I love them. Uh, and that's what Paul is doing. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Isn't it neat to think about that Paul wrote this? He said, read this to the church, and even today it's being read to the church. So it was God's will for us today to hear this. 
it was God's will for us at God's way to go through this book. And the Lord has blessed us through it. And then he ends this with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. It's all about grace. God extended his grace to us even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, he commended his love to us is what it says. It all comes from grace, through grace. Grace is a person. Grace is Jesus Christ. Uh, I hope that you all know Jesus Christ and that you have received his grace and that you're walking and living in his grace. Uh, we're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. You can only be saved through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. No other way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He is the way. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So if you don't know Christ, if you're not saved, if you're not sure, put your faith in him right now. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins. Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to quit living for sin. I want to live for you. And come to Christ. Say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. I believe he's God. I believe he died for my sins and he's raised from the grave. I want to trust him as my Savior. I want to follow him as my Lord and be saved today. And if you are saved, uh, take to heart what we've gone through here in this message today and in this entire book. Uh, be thankful that, that God has given us faith. And, and, and let's do the work of faith. Uh, be thankful that he has shown us his love and that he labored even to death to give us his love. Uh, let's be thankful for that and let's share his love. Let's labor to share his love with others. And let's be patient. Be patient with one another. Uh, be patient with ourselves. Be patient in the fact that we know that the Lord is coming soon. We're living in some difficult times. Uh, but keep looking up, brothers and sisters, because I know that the, the, the Lord's coming is, is just getting closer and closer every minute. There's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, keep looking up. Be patient. Keep looking for the Lord, just like these Thessalonians were doing. Look for the Lord. He's coming soon. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this holy word. Thank you for this book of Thessalonians. Thank you for Paul the Apostle that you used to write it. Thank you for letting it be read to us, Lord, and thank you for allowing us to go through it. Just sink it deep in our hearts and our minds that it might be something that is lived out in our life through the Holy Spirit as we learn to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh that it might be used to edify the body and to lead others to Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.